Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Podcast Network. This is your host, Rob Silva. And today we will be recapping Saturday night's one punch masterpiece by Javante Tank Davis over Rolando Roli Romero. Um, then I will discuss where I think Tank should go. Some of some of if I was managing him, if I was promoting Tank Davis, what I would look to put him in the ring with again, against in in the future. I mean, he's got a ton of options right now. Um, and then later on in the podcast, I will be reading from my FightGameMedia.com website series of articles of the. 45 greatest fighters the last 45 years Today I'll be talking about my number 38 The greatest fighter ever to come out of Thailand And that is Kyose Galaxy My number 38 of the last 45 years But first We start with Saturday night At the Barclays Center um, I came home from work early uh, Saturday night I usually work till 11 I got off at at oh, what I say about nine fifteen, nine thirty of Saturday night. Um, got home at uh ten fifteen after I bought my dinner. Put my dinner in front of the TV and I turned on my uh my 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 gimmick that I get all the free uh pay per views. I've been getting free pay per views now for twenty six years. First with the illegal black box from ninety six to two thousand five. Uh. Illegal websites from 2005 to 2018 And then now A gimmick that I've been using for the last three and a half years Since late 2018 And I've watched every boxing pay-per-view Since 1996 Never paid for one The only time I've ever paid for anything That's a been a boxing pay-per-view Is when I've gone to the movie theater And seen a couple of Mayweather fights and um, the last Canelo Triple G fight. So, as I normally do, I hooked up my gimmick, sat back and watched a horrendous undercard. Uh, Jesus Ramos versus Lucas Santa Maria. I had to fight sleep. I fell asleep during Erislandi Lara's fight against Spike O'Sullivan. Spike, o Spike has no business fighting anymore, man. He's a one-dimensional fighter, and... There was no way in the world he was going to beat uh, as Rolandi Lara. And Lara stood right in front of him and beat the snot out of him. And I fell asleep, woke up, woke up as they stopped the fight and fell asleep again and woke up as Romero was coming down the ring to a, a Prince song. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Anyway, let's get into the fight. Um... The first five rounds were very... No, actually, the first four rounds were very hard to score. Um, I gave the first round to Javante because I thought he was the more aggressive. Raleigh was sticking out that jab, but it wasn't landing. He was just... I guess he was using it as a range finder, but Raleigh Romero, and I, I predicted that he would get starched, and he did. Reason I said this is because his skill set is abysmal. All right, he's taller than most lightweights, 
But that jab is non-existent. He uses that arrange. He pauses. He just throws it out there. He doesn't extend it. When you have that height and you have that reach, stick that jab like a Thomas Hearns or Alexis Aguayo or the guy I'll be talking about later on, Kose Galaxy. Stick that jab. He, he might have landed five jabs the entire night. So first round, I gave to Javante. Second round, uh, Javante seemed to be hurt by a left hook by uh, Romero. Uh, uh, they clinched, and then Javante went down, and he seemed stunned for a brief second. He recovered real quickly, and nothing else major happened in the second round, so I had to give the second round to Romero. Third round was an, another close round. I gave it to Javante. I mean, no, I gave it to, I gave the third round to Romero because for some inexplicable reason, Javante was moving too much. In my opinion, it was unnecessary movement. He was moving around the ring and maybe what happened later on helped, helped uh, his strategy. All I know is, I'm an advocate of no no necessary movement, all right? My father taught me as we watched boxing as a little boy when I started watching back in 1977. My father taught me that whenever a fighter was running around the ring like a Javante Davis, like a Hector Camacho after his fight with uh, Edwin Rosario, that that was unnecessary and it would sway the judges to give the other guy the round and also you're tiring yourself by running around um but maybe i'm wrong maybe javante was trying to lure romero and that's why what happened happened later on we will we will see anyway fourth round i gave to javante he began to land that left cross counter more and more and but ladies and gentlemen back to my point he wasn't moving now he was standing in the pocket and he was timing Romero's rushes with that beautiful left cross counter fifth round he landed it to the point where it was the first convincing round anybody had in a round other than the second well for Javante my bad because uh Romero definitely won the second round sixth round uh, towards the end of the, uh, of the sixth round, Romero, like an amateur, was overly aggressive, coming at Javante, and walked into a Juan Manuel Marquez hitting Manny Pacquiao-esque counter cross. But Marquez was a right cross counter that almost that almost killed Manny. Tanks was a picture-perfect left cross, and it wasn't, I hear people say left hook. No, it was not a left hook. Javante Davis is a softball. I'm going to say this over and over again. When a softball throws a straight left hand, it's a left cross, not a left hook. Thank God that it was Barry Tompkins on the call and not that clown, that Mamma Mia goofball, Mauro Ronaldo, because Ronaldo would have been, oh, what a left hook by Tank Davis. No, like Barry Tompkins said, like Al Bernstein said, it was a picture-perfect left cross counter that Romero ran into. L Romero almost broke his neck 
uh, w- 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 bouncing off the ropes, hit the floor, and that was a wrap. I mean, he got up, and then kudos to uh, Romero for getting up. But he was out on his feet. Great call by referee David Fields as he saw that Romero was out on his feet. Stopped the fight. Six-round knockout for Javante Tank Davis, and he continues his path to hopefully one day becoming an all-time great fighter. He's not there yet because the level of opposition has been flimsy at best. Romero is not a pimple on Tank Davis' ass when it comes to talent. Oh, yes, he's has, he has power, especially in his left hand like he showed in the second round. But his skill set is abysmal. How do you have a reach advantage over a guy that you're much taller than and you're not utilizing the jab? You're just pouring it out there, trying to hook off of it. Throw that jab. Throw that jab. No. And it was so bad that eventually Tank took his time and was able to time that bullshit of a jab with with his own left cross. And Tank started jabbing to the body, right jab to the body, which I love to see. And once Tank took control... Romero walked into that left cross, and it was sweet Jesus, Jesus, good night. Now, as far as Tank Davis's future is concerned, if it was up to me, and it's not up to me, Tank Davis has could, if he wants to stay with PBC. And by the way, I was flummoxed by... Floyd Mayweather's absence. Floyd the Tank Davis is Floyd Mayweather's number one fighter under Mayweather promotions, and I didn't see Floyd. I know Floyd had a bullshit exhibition in Dubai recently, but after that, I didn't see him promote the fight. I didn't see him at any press conferences. I didn't see him at the fight last night, and I know his right-hand man, Leonard Ellaby, said he wasn't there because of a family emergency. So, um... If that is the case, and I'll take Mr. Ellaby's word for it, I hope nothing major happened in Floyd's family, but um, I have questions concerning Floyd and Tank's relationship. I know Tank said last night he was still Mayweather Promotions, so I'll take Tank's word for it. I'll take Tank's word that he's still Mayweather's, he's still a Mayweather fighter. So if he is still under the Mayweather Promotions slash PBC umbrella, there are some options that that are that will make for not only more credible fights than the one that happened at Barclays Center Saturday night, but much more intriguing and difficult fights for Tank Davis. One guy is uh, Michelle Rivera. Now, I'm I have uh, Michelle Rivera has not proven to me to be on Tank Davis's level. He's yet to show me that he could beat the best of the best. He has a lot of natural ability, yes, and I know people are like, oh, he looks like Tito Trinidad. He looks like Muhammad Ali. Uh, yeah, whatever. Stylistically, he's not a pimple on their ass just yet, and he may never, I don't think he ever will be, but it will be an intriguing matchup with Javante uh, because Rivera has some pop, and he extends that jab. He has a very nice jab. So that would be one fight that you can, uh, PBC can make. Also, and this, in my opinion, 
would be the single toughest fight for Javante, and in my opinion, would be a 50-50 fight because this young man I have been touting for three years now. This young man is the real deal, and I would love to see him fight Javante because it would pit Javante's camp against Errol Spence's camp as Derek James is now this young man's train uh, trainer, and that is the young man born in Detroit, raised in Indianapolis, learned to box in Indianapolis, and now living in Dallas, Texas, under the auspices of one of the best trainers of the last 20 years, the trainer of Jamel Charlo, the trainer of Errol Spence, and he is now the trainer of Frank the Ghost Martin. That is a fight that will be incredible in my opinion. Frank Martin reminds me of a hybrid of Mark Two Sharp Johnson and Stevie Little But Bad Johnston. Right? He is a softball with a, with tremendous hand speed, tremendous foot speed. He throws combinations. He's got a razor sharp right jab. Frank the Ghost Martin would be a problem for Javante Tank Davis. Now, gun to my head, I can't say who's going to win this fight because both men, in my opinion, are equally skilled. Both men, in my opinion, have A-plus all-time great potential. The one advantage the Ghost, in my opinion, would have over Javante is that the Ghost throws combinations. The Ghost throws punches and punches. Javante, like he showed last night, like he's shown in the last five, six fights, uh, takes his time, and he's stingy with his punch output. Um, Frank, the Ghost Martin, is not. He throws a lot of punches, and he would force Javante to up his um, offensive um, output. That 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 is a fight, and I don't want to hear people. Oh well, uh, he's not ready for Tank. Well, fuck that. When you have incredible talent like both these men have, there's no need to wait and fight other fighters. Make the fight, because in my opinion, that is the toughest fight on the PBC landscape. If they want to keep it in house now. Let's go outside PBC, okay? Ryan Garcia has been spouting bullshit the last two years saying he would knock out Javante. Rumors had it that he bet Errol Spence $20,000 last night that Romero would knock out Javante. I would love to see Javante versus Ryan Garcia. That fight would sell out a stadium, Uh, whether it's in L.A., Baltimore, Atlanta, New York, Vegas, wherever they held that fight, it would sell out a stadium because you have the number one most markable African-American black boxer in the United States versus the outside of Canelo, the most marketable young Mexican-American uh, pay-per-view and, and, and um, marquee name in Ryan Garcia. I would love to see it. Uh, I don't know if it's going to happen because uh, Oscar has been treating, Oscar De La Hoya, I'm saying, has been treating his stable, Jaime Mungaya, perfect example, and now Ryan Garcia with kid gloves and putting him in with Stiff 
after stiff after stiff, right? Ryan, it's time to step it up. Tank, it's time to step it up. I don't want to see Tank against any more Raleigh Romeros, all right? That dude was a one-trick pony. We need to see Tank against big-time opposition like a Ryan Garcia, like a Frank Martin, like a uh, Michelle Rivera. Hey, and if a, if there's a will, there's a way. Can there be a way where, and I know Haney, Haney who, matter of fact, this segues perfectly into my predictions for next weekend. Okay, so uh, I would love to see Tank eventually fight the winner of the big fight that's being held next Saturday night in Australia for the undisputed lightweight championship of the world, George Cambosis versus uh, Devin Haney. I know that a lot of people think uh, that the odds are stacked against Haney coming to Australia without his father as his trainer. Uh, I'm Huge stadium. Cambosis is going to have over 60,000, 70,000 people rooting for him in, in, in that stadium. That being said, Haney has all-time great uh, 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 potential, skill level. Cambosis doesn't. Cambosis is a very good fighter. He's not a great fighter. Haney has the potential to be a great fighter, and I think next Saturday night, Haney will finally, finally put in that all-time great performance that I've been waiting for him to have. His last two fights, he dominated early, but for some reason he tried and slugged with, with the fighters, and both Diaz and Linares had him hurt late in the fight. Uh, to to uh, Haney's credit, he didn't go down and need a fight. He he recovered and he held on to win. Um, Cambosis has similar power to uh, Linares and Diaz, so I don't think that'll be a problem. I think if Haney sticks to the game plan, moves, boxes, key wins, um, and he's going to have to win at least eight to ten rounds because the fight is in Australia. And they will do anything they can to rob Haney. Now, if my prediction comes true, Haney by unanimous 12-round decision over Cambosis. If this comes to light, if my prediction is correct. Oh, and by the way, a piggyback on Tank. I predicted Tank by fourth-round knockout. He knocked out. He knocked out Romero in the sixth round. Uh, kudos to one of my longtime listeners from all the platforms I've ever done, all the plat- podcasts I've ever done. My longtime friend, LL School K, longtime listener, he predicted tank by six round knockout, and that's what happened. Kudos to uh, LL for getting that right on, right on point, brother. Now, back to Haney versus Camposos. If my prediction is correct, and Haney wins by a unanimous decision. There's a rematch clause in the contract. So he's obligated to fight Cambosis a second time. So if a fight between him and Tank happened, that can't happen until maybe ne- a fall of 2023. In the meantime, Tank has to be busy. So maybe you would fight. If I was Tank, I'd fight Rivera. 
in the interim, and then a Ghost Martin. And then if he comes past those two fights, by the way, fights against Rivera and Martin, if Tank is victorious in those two fights, it would be the perfect setup for a fight against Devin Haney. Um, I don't think that'll happen, though, if you were looking outside the PBC bubble. Um, I think Ryan Garcia would be a better bet, but then again, Oscar De La Hoya has his fighters wearing panties and not pants, so I don't know. I don't know. The best scenario, I think, for Tank is to fight the Riveras and the Ghost Martins of the world and maybe a fight with Devin Haney or Shakur Stevenson down the line will occur. Now, on to the other fights coming up this weekend and my predictions for those fights. Also, next Saturday night on Showtime, a unification fight between Stephen Fulton and Danny Daniel Roman, 122-pound class, and this should be a barn burner. Stephen Fulton it reminds me of Meldrick Taylor in that he's a Philly fighter with incredible boxing skills that likes to slug it out, likes to be inside the pocket and outpunch you. Daniel Roman is a seek-and-destroy fighter who... Can be a boxer puncher, but is more successful inside going to the body and out hustling and out slugging his opponent. These two fighting each other is a recipe for a great fight. And this should be a barn burner. Right now, my prediction is going to be a hell of a fight. And the fight could go either way. Um, I'm not going to call this a robbery. I'm going to say in a fight that could go either way, Stephen Fulton winning by split decision, setting up a rematch, a much deserved rematch for Roman. That's my prediction for Fulton versus Roman. Everybody, if I was everybody, and both these fights are going to happen at the same time, Cambosos Haney and Fulton versus Fulton versus Roman. I'd I'd Watch the Fulton Roman fight live because, in my opinion, that's going to be a better fight than Haney Cambosas. Haney Cambosas has the potential to be very boring because if Haney boxes the way we know he could box, Cambosas is not out boxing Haney. This isn't Tiafimo Lopez looking for one shot trying to knock you out. This is Devin Haney staying outside using that beautiful jab of his and throwing combinations, a, a style that is all wrong for Cambosas. If I was the. If, my advice to the boxing fans out there, watch Fulton Roman live and then catch Roman versus, I mean, catch Haney Cambosas after the fact uh, on a replay. Uh, all right, uh, on a replay. That's how I would do that fight. Now, ladies and gentlemen, on to the rematch of the greatest fight in the history of the Bantamweight division. Tuesday morning, June 7th, we have the rematch between Naoya Inoue and Nonito, the Filipino Flash Donaire. Another unification fight. Their first fight was a unification fight uh, back in 2019. Two and a half years later, another unification fight 
between these two guys. And uh, while Donaire was incredible in that first fight, Donaire broke up. You know, he's eye socket. But he know he never stopped jabbing, never stopped going to the body. He know he got robbed of a knockout in the 11th round after he had Donaire running across the ring after a beautiful hook to the rib cage, And he got up at 10 and a half, but the referee gave him a long count and gave the legend Donaire uh, uh, the benefit of the doubt. Should have been a knockout. But that being said, he know he won by decision. And I see he know he this time putting an end to Donaire's career and knocking him out. Now, what round will he knock out Donaire? You know, Donaire still has incredible punching power, and Inouye is not going to seek and destroy. Inouye's going to box like he always does. The misnomer is, oh, because his nickname is The Monster, that he's a slugger. No, he's not a slugger. Naomi Inouye is like Kose Galaxy, who I'm about to talk about, Thomas Hearns and Alexis Arguello. He's a boxer that can punch. Everything Inouye does is off that battering ram of a left jab. And it's the jab that helped him overcome being hurt in the first fight against Donaire. And it's the jab that's going to control this fight until I predict the eighth round when he finally puts Donaire to sleep and ends the Hall of Fame career of the Filipino Flash. Now, ladies and gentlemen, on to my number 38 fighter of the last 45 years, an article that I wrote about a year ago on FightGameMedia.com. And this is on my number 38 fighter, the greatest fighter, in my opinion, in the history of the 115-pound division. And that is the greatest fighter ever to come out of the country of Thailand, Kose Galaxy. And I begin. Growing up in the 1980 South Bronx, the only way I could follow boxing from Asia was to read the great boxing publications, Ring Magazine, World Boxing, and KO Boxing. Of all the aforementioned magazines, Ring Magazine easily had the best Asian coverage due to one man and one man alone, Boxing Hall of Fame writer Joe Koizumi. It was Koizumi's detailed write-ups of great fighters like like Jeff Fennick, Jungkook Chang, and KOC Galaxy that brought images of these fighters I couldn't see to life. Beginning in 1990, I began purchasing or trading videotapes for all three of these fighters. When the Galaxy tapes arrived from the post office, I immediately started playing them. The three tapes totaled six hours with 12 of his fights. Needless to say, I binge-watched all six hours with my father. And by the way, for the young young listeners out there, and I know I have a lot of young listeners out there, binge, this was the original binge-watching. I know uh, Netflix and Hulu has shows in which you could see up to five episodes at the same time and you could binge-watch a host an entire season. Well, back in the 80s and 90s, we used to binge-watch boxing and wrestling through videotapes that that you purchased through the mail video videotape trading so this was the original binge watching what my father and i first noticed was that galaxy who stood five foot five at 115 pounds was not only stylistically similar to alexis arguello or thomas hearns and that everything he did was behind a battering ram of a jab 
but that when he got you in trouble, he went after your body like a shark smelling blood. Galaxy is one of the five greatest body punches I've ever seen in my life. His hooks and uppercuts to the body were as ferocious as Roberto Duran was in his prime, and Naomi Inoue is today. He was nicknamed the Thai Tyson, the Thai Tyson. But the greatest fighter to ever hail from Thailand was nothing like the heavyweight icon. He was a much better boxer and ring technician. Galaxy, after a short stint as a Muay Thai fighter, turned pro in 1980 at the age of 21. He loses one and only fight in his seventh pro bout. He would then win 18 straight fights to earn the number one WBA super flyweight ranking. The WBA champion Jiro Watanabe decided to vacate his title instead of fighting Galaxy. On November 21st, 1984, in front of his raucous Bangkok hometown, Galaxy destroyed Eusebio Espinal with decapitating body shots and knocked him out in the seventh round to begin one of the most dominating title reigns in boxing history. Needless to say, Watanabe didn't attempt to unify the titles versus Galaxy. Galaxy's second title defense on July 21st, 1985 was against the former Venezuelan WBC 115-pound champion Rafael Orono, also held in Bangkok. Galaxy, Galaxy's maneuver of jabbing with his right hand, then sidestepping and countering him hooks to the body and head, kept Orono at bay throughout the first four rounds. Then, in round five, Galaxy put on a picturesque display of body and power punching, dropping the former champion three times before referee Ismail Fernandez stopped the fight. Orono took such a shellacking that he was never the same as he lost his next four fights before finally retiring in 1988. On February 25th, 1987, Galaxy made his fifth defense against the IBF 115-pound champion Eli Pical of, Indi- of Indonesia. This was the thigh legend at his absolute best as he continuously walked down the moving Pical for the first 13 rounds behind his jackhammer right jab and ferocious body and combination punching. By the beginning of the 14th round, the Indonesian's face was severely cut and bruised, including a right eye that looked like someone had stabbed it with a knife. Finally, referee Ken Morita called the halt to the slaughter with 15 seconds left in the 14th round. Despite his complete domination over their champion, the IBF refused to sanction the fight and declared its version of the 115-pound title vacant. Now, as you can see, Galaxy, throughout his reign, started with with, with, uh, winning the WBA title because the WBA champion refused to fight him and then destroyed the IBF champion, but the IBF refused to sanction the fight and so, even though he's beaten two of the world, two of the three world champions in the division, he's not a unified champion because uh, one guy wouldn't fight him, and the other uh, criminal sanctioned body stripped him. Back to the article, Galaxy would, sex, would successfully defend his title 19 times before finally retiring in 1991 with a career record of 47 wins, one loss, 41 knockouts. At the age of 32, he is one of the five most dominant world champions of any era and undoubtedly one of the greatest softballs in boxing history. 
To watch him fight is like looking at a work of art by an artist who many people never heard of. You have to view his masterpieces inside the ring to truly understand the greatness of Kyose Galaxy. Ladies and gentlemen, before I wrap it up, I want to uh, tell you guys about the Patreon episode that I've done for the Fight Game Media Patreon podcast that there's a link in the in the description of this podcast in which you can subscribe if you want to. If you want to, $5 a month, you get the best coverage of AEW, WWE, Impact, UFC, and you get a monthly classic boxing podcast that I do. And this year, I've devoted it to the greatest upsets in boxing history. And the first three were Donald Curry's um, upset loss at the hands of Lloyd Hunnigan, Roberto Duran's upset loss, the first loss of his career to Esteban de Jesus, and Julio Cesar Chavez's first loss in an upset to Frankie Randall. Well, this week coming up, one of the biggest upsets in the history of New York State was the night Alexis Arguello, summer of 1978, fought lightweight contender Villamar Fernandez, and he wins this fight, his next fight, would be the greatest fight ever held between two, in my opinion, the two greatest Latin fighters of all time. It would have been Arguello versus the undisputed lightweight champion of the world, world Roberto Durant. Unfortunately, Arguello lost to Fernandez, and I give a complete rundown of that fight, how I scored it, how, they, how the judges scored it, and how it affected both Durant and Arguello's career on the Patreon um, um, page for five dollars a month ladies and gentlemen it's always my pleasure to talk to you great boxing fans i want to thank everybody that i interact with on twitter um i love you guys and you guys give me great feedback and you guys appreciate what i give you and i appreciate you guys listening to me i appreciate you guys engaging with me all the time and it's, it's never any dissing going around it's never any uh uh vitriol it's always with the utmost respect and i appreciate you guys because if you come at me wrong i'm just gonna block your ass until next week peace and blessings brothers and sisters